We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. This thing on. See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills Podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Power Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And the Buffalo Bills have now won seven consecutive games against the Miami Dolphins and have completed the first of three season sweeps within the division, which is a massive step towards winning it all together. That's what I like to hear. Woo! Chris, it was a hell of a weekend. It was a hell of a weekend. I've got a lot to say. Well, it sure didn't. At least game-wise, it didn't start the way you had hoped. <laughs> There's a lot of things to talk about. Listen, usually you and me will banter, we'll play a little tennis, we'll go back and forth. I, I want to jump right into this one because I first want to start it with an apology. Our Week 8 recap, Bills 26, Dolphins 11. I'm gonna, first, I'm going to give you the stats of the game. Tua Tungavaola, did, I, I still didn't say it right, did I? Tua Tungavaola. You can't say it right either. Call in if you know the actual pronunciation you of the name. You keep saying tag. It's not. It's tongue of viola. I hate you. 21 to 39, good for 53.8%. 205 yards, no touchdowns, two picks, two sacks, and a 58.2 rating. Uh, Josh Allen, 29 to 42, good for 69%. 249 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, no sacks, and a 100. A 100.2 rating. Bill's starting defensive line. Seven quarterback hits. Two sacks. Two tackles for loss. Rushing yards. Dolphins running backs. 57 yards. No touchdowns. A long of 12 yards. Bill's running backs. 47 yards. Zero touchdowns. Long of 12 yards. Josh Allen. 55 yards, one touchdown, 6.8 yards per carry. Led the Buffalo Bills in yards after contact. <laughs> led, the, led the Buffalo Bills in yards after contact. I like it. Wide receiver Gabe Davis, 44% of snaps, five targets, 29 yards, and one red zone touchdown. Slot wide receiver comparison. Jalen Waddle, wide receiver for the Miami Dolphins. 4 of 12 for 29 yards. The most targeted Dolphins wide receiver. 
Wide receiver Cole Beasley, the most targeted Bills receiver. 10 of 13, 110 yards. Ugh. Ugh. I feel, Chris, I read that stat and I feel like, uh, I feel like Tim Allen in Home Improvement. <laughs> when you're talking about Benford Tools. Oh, yeah, I know that. And strong safety Jordan Poyer. Ten solo tackles, one tackle for loss, one pass breakup, two quarterback hurries, and a game-sealing fourth-quarter interception. Where I start with this is that, Chris, I these, were, these are the weekends that I really wish you were around. I saw pictures on uh, Twitter. Looked like uh, a lot of people that listened to the show were there. It's for tailgating's sake. I got to tell you, the game day experience might have been one of the best we've had all season. I mean, it's easily one of the better tailgates we've had over our my ten years of having season tickets. I, I made my famous taco bar: slow roasted barbacoa, some rubbed, smoked, and pulled chicken. Yeah, all the gourmet fixings. You know, I, I crumble my own uh, cogita cheese and I do some chopped cilantro. Mark made his Mark made refried beans and they were actually really good. And he did bring something called death by salsa. There was a salsa that's so hot. Now you know me and how I am with hot stuff. Yeah, it took the wind. It took the air right out of my lungs. It was crazy. It was one of the wildest things I've ever experienced. I can't wait to get back into it. <laughs> Mark, in typical Mark fashion, showed up with legitimate penny candy, dollar store knockoff Hostess and Entenmann snacks, and maybe the grossest thing I've ever seen, SpaghettiO Jello molds. Jello molds that were tomato soup, gelatin, and SpaghettiOs with little Smokies as a garnish. There's a video on Twitter right now of... Uh, uh, Iman eating one. His reaction is Spit exactly it what it deserved. And we really did have an all-star group of visitors. Iman, like I said, Q42 barbecue and rubs and sauces. His, him and his wife came out. He was chefing up barbecue wings on the charcoal and there's actually, Chris, that video of him tasting it, it went as well as you might think it would. His reaction, though, was priceless, and his hand was shaking a little bit before he put the spoon in his mouth. Almost like like, like in a hostage video, mm-hmm. where you're like, blink three times if you're in trouble or being forced to do this. His hand is violently shaking as he goes to put the spoon in his mouth. And I don't blame him, because I didn't want to eat that shit either. Burger, on, Burger 76 stopped by. And between he and Iman, they convinced me that I might actually need to suck it up and just spend the big bucks on a real Kamado-style smoker and grill. Burger's great. Great dude. I I can't wait to see him again. He's he's apparently been a mudlatter for forever and just didn't know that we were there. Lackawanna Vince rolled in from Maryland and not only brought us beer, but managed to inadvertently show up with a kid I used to work with at Mighty Taco. We had fun reminiscing about all of our degenerate experiences when we were in our early 20s working at a fast food restaurant, including one where he took mushrooms on the job. It was a, it was a great day. He was shocked that he's like, oh, my God, what are you doing here? <laughs> and then also just like talking about how like we had a great time knowing that even though we're degenerates, we're still going to get out of here. The rest of you are just stuck because, <laughs> again, we're petty people. Now, and it was great seeing Vince. I'm glad he got to try Iman's wings because between Iman's rubs and his wings, I mean, Q42, Kansas City barbecue sauce, you can get it right now at Premier Gourmet. You won't find better wings at a tailgate anywhere for miles. I would challenge you to that. Show up at our tailgate with what you think are better barbecue wings. Iman, between his cooking style and his sauce, they'll be under. You can find them at Premier Gourmet, and I've gone so far as to Chris. I've called, I've called it Q42. That's Q U E, the number forty-two, is the official barbecue sauce of the Rock Pile Report tailgate. I like how you had to spell it out for our listeners. Like you think they're stupid. Some of them might be. I mean, listen. Well, many- look at the host. <laughs> and if you guys like me, I mean, come on, Chris. How many people 
who like, I don't know, like the people we refer to as the smart people. Yeah. When we do the smart people summit. How many of those people are coming over here to listen to what I have to say? Nobody. Do I care? No. Nah. <laughs> no, it was great seeing Vince. It was just, it was a good time. And then what I love is that his pal Jake showed up with his wife from Virginia. And I feel terrible because he slipped and fell. <laughs> he literally found out why it's called the mud lot. It was bad. He showed up and we had to tell him off. But it was a great time. They had a blast, which I was happy about. And he brought us not just some of the smoothest IPAs I've ever had from breweries in Virginia, but also left us each, Chris, with a bottle of whiskey. Now, just looking at it, I saw your eyes light up. Yeah, it's saw like that this. Bottle. Yeah, give me a nice uh, whiskey you can get from Virginia that I can't get here at uh, at Premier or Outlet Liquor or any other liquor store in the area. That's what I live for. I mean, next summer I'm going to Kansas City to visit my brother and I'm driving, so I'm sure I'm going to find places along the way to Kansas City that and distilleries so I can get get some bottles. But I can't wait to try this. I'll have to, I'll have to make a old fashioned with it this weekend. I just, I and Vince brought us beer that we're going to review during next week's podcast because I couldn't bring it with me tonight. But it's just crazy to me that you guys show up and you're so generous to us when I all I do is talk about this stuff. And yet, when 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 we meet, it feels like you're somebody I've been drinking at the bar with for forever. <laughs> you guys feel like friends of mine from the bar around the corner, and I guess that's what I get out of this, and it's what I love about it. And also, Jake. I'm glad you came, and I appreciate the invitation. After seeing your outdoor patio as barbecue and pizza oven set up, we're definitely going to take you up on the invitation to come hang out this summer. Not to be outdone, Super Mexican and his wife showed up from all the way out in California. Now, Chris, let's face it. It's Halloween. Anybody who wears a luchador mask as willingly as that guy isn't going to pass up a taco bar, right? Yeah. <laughs> hundred percent. I'm sure someone's listening in their car right now and they're like, well, that's offensive. Oh, oh. I'm half Puerto Rican. Listen, we can. <laughs> he and I go back and forth about this. What I, I even wore mine in solidarity with him. And I've got to say, I kind of missed having it on. He might be on to something. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the lady that might have been. I don't know. I don't want to call her the star of the show, but it was it was hilarious. Johanna, one of our listeners, Josh, from all the way out on the left coast, came in for this week's game, and he had with him his grandmother, Johanna. She's Dutch, had season tickets back in the early 80s and through the Super Bowl years, and just was an all-around badass. You know, I offered her food because I'm like, oh, you brought your grandmother. Well, let me make sure that I treat her well. Hey, if you want food, if you want this, she goes, no, no, I've already eaten. They start explaining that they had fillets and lobster tails and grilled mahi-mahi. It's a hell of a breakfast. What? You did what? And she goes, well, you can't play Miami without eating fish. And I was like, you are, I, I want to hug you. I want to hug you. You're one of my favorite people. I see her with this plastic wine glass in her hand. And I see a little bit of something kind of swirl around in the bottom of it. And so I'm like, okay, well, I want to be a good host. You know, obviously you're here. Your your grandson's, he's funny. You guys are having a good time. You guys are going to hang out. I'll make you feel at home. So I offer her a little bit of wine. I was like, oh, you've got a wine glass. There's wine over here. And she goes, wine, this is scotch. <laughs> Chris, she's, Chris, she's an incredible woman. Sounds like it if she's drinking scotch out of a scotch wine glass. out of a wine glass at a Buffalo Bills tailgate. She was a riot. She went on to regale us with all the stories about the 90s, just drunken trips around the country, the 90s bills, what it was like being a fan back then. And she talked about how this team has the kind of the same feel as so many of those other AFC championship rosters. I was I was talking about it all night. I was telling my wife about it. My wife was my wife and I were laughing because she got to meet her and she was like, I hope when I'm her age I'm that cool. <laughs> and Josh was great too. I told them both they're welcome back anytime to hang out. I want to say thank you to everybody who showed up this weekend. And in fact, to Trevor 
and to Kyle and to everybody who showed up every single weekend this year. The reality is I'd throw the same tailgate party if it were 50 people or five. I just love the camaraderie of the event. And this weekend might have been one of the best that we've had in a long time. My wife came to the game with me, and she's constantly remarking about this concept. She, she talks about how the concept of meeting strangers off the internet. And I feel like a part of this is because she's small and female. It's just wild to her. Because she's like, there's so many terrible things that can come out of you just opening up our home and your tailgate to just strangers that you don't actually know, that you've never met in person. The thing I try to tell her is that it works because when it comes to this thing that is football, there's so little else that matters to me. I mean, Chris, I think you can, having experienced some of it firsthand, you can can kind of speak to this. I'm probably crazier than anyone that the internet's going to bring to my doorstep. 100%. Okay. And I think I'm a decent judge of character. No, you're not. (laughs) Well, I don't have character. I can judge character. That is very true. You have no character. (laughs) And most importantly, my love of this football team trumps a lot of other stuff. Age, gender, orientation, religious or social political beliefs, sobriety or lack thereof. (laughs) It's just pretty much where I, that's where I live. I love all of you guys. And not only are you all welcome back anytime, I encourage anyone else listening to this who finds themselves looking for, I don't know, somewhere to go, somewhere to hang out, something to eat before a Bills game, maybe looking to crack a beer or two before kickoff on Sundays, you need somewhere to hang out, you want to have a few laughs, don't be a stranger, okay? Because you guys are the reason I do this, and it's proof of concept that Chris, a show like ours can work because we are just who we are. There's no pretense here. This is just it. (laughs) And I love the fact that we can put together a weekend like we did with all of these different people together in the same place. I just, I love it. I love each and every one of them. Bill's football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Bill's tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site. And the only one you'll ever need is your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in purchase price. Visit TickPick.com slash rockpile today to save $10 on your first order of Bill's tickets. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So that brings me to the game. I want to talk about this for a second, Chris. Divisional games. This, it's always difficult. Were you surprised to see that the Bills had a, a harder time with the Dolphins this time around? Uh, not really. I think Sean McDermott, because he comes from that Andy Reid coaching tree, he's really good off of a bye. So it was kind of disappointing to see the way the game started. Of course it was. You were one of, you're not alone in that. You're one of thousands of fans who feel the same way. 
I wasn't shocked to see a slow start compared to what some people might have thought. There's always something about seeing a divisional opponent for the second time that tends to make things harder on one of the two teams involved. And I can already hear, I can already hear some of you scoffing in your fucking cars at that. So I've got a few examples. The 2020, look at the 2020 season alone. The Buffalo Bills against the New York Jets. Allen throws for 404 yards and costs me a Seagram's week one. Because I didn't believe a Bills quarterback could throw for 300 yards. Just six weeks later, the Jets hold the Bills to six consecutive field goals. Albeit in a game that we win 18 to 10. The first one we cruised through. That second one, it took a Jerry Hughes strip sack to end the game. Buffalo against New England last year. The Patriots came into Buffalo week eight, and the Bills pulled out a defensive nail-biter, 24-21, that required a last-minute fumble recovery forced by Justin Zimmer on Cam Newton to keep it go- from going to overtime. Chris, you remember that run? He's oh, yeah. going down the left hashes. He's drifting towards the sideline. He's, they're, they're, they're inside the 20. So it's a field goal in overtime at best. And at worst, they're going to punch him for a touchdown with almost no time on the clock for us to respond. Justin Zimmer forces that touch, forces that fumble, and we jump on it. And everyone's, you're pumped, you won, but there's a little bit of, you have to catch your breath when that ends. Fast forward a handful of weeks, what, eight weeks later? The Bills go into Foxborough on Monday Night Football in a game that the whole country, ESPN, the schedule makers, they thought that was going to be like, hey, this is going to be where they play for the division. And the Buffalo Bills give them a shovel in the face. We punched them in the throats. We allowed less than 80 yards passing. They only scored 11 points, and we hung 31 points on them. I think, hell, I'll take it a step further. Last year's AFC Championship Winners, Kansas City Chiefs. Not even they could sweep their division. They split with the Raiders. They actually lost at home. And the Raiders took them deep into the fourth quarter where that was still a ball game. They had to go to overtime with the Chargers. And they squeaked their second matchup against the Denver Broncos out by just five points after beating them 43-16 to the first time the two teams got together earlier in the season. That's the reality of division games. And it's why sweeping any opponent in a given season is impressive. In that way, if Miami is a joke of a football team, (laughs) I mean, we all know they are. In many, many regards, it's still a division game. And that brings with it a familiarity. And oftentimes, a team that's built to take away something that its divisional opponents do well. Chris, they go out and they, they extend Xavier Howard and they sign Byron Jones. Do you do you or do you not believe that's a direct result of Josh Allen? Yeah, it is. Okay. So like, you, how do you think the, the, the whole division spent, you know, in the 2000s and early 2010s where we were getting Mario Williams and uh, Igdamakun Sue went to the Dolphins and the, the Jets had Mo Wilkerson because everybody wanted to get pressure on Tom Brady. Yep. It's the same thing. You got to plan for your uh, the quarterback to see twice a year. So with that in mind, the Finns came into this game with a legitimate game plan. They knew to take away the middle of the field in coverage, and they, they, they brought pressure from some unorthodox... I, mean, I saw some wide nine stuff going on. I saw some... They just odd angles. Sometimes they would overload the interior and then bring a linebacker against the guards. I mean, the guards were targeted early, and it showed because our offense was just stagnant. Josh Allen would have guys in the backfield. Christian Wilkerson, on a handful of occasions, was just in the backfield off the snap. You know, all the press goes to how bad Miami's line was. Our line was not great in this game. Is that a result of Spencer Brown? It's the ripple effect of Spencer Brown not being in the game. Because you had to move Williams back to tackle, move Bodker to left guard, and then Feliciano from left to right? Yeah. So you've got a bunch of guys who are just assholes and elbows trying to figure out how to how to do the job. 
Feliciano wasn't doing his job well when he was on the left side. Now you've switched him after seven weeks? Yeah. That's a bad idea. <laughs> that didn't work. Like Bakker. People forget that when he got put into the starting lineup last year, he wasn't impressive either in his first game or two. It took him some time to acclimate. So we shouldn't be shocked. But the reality is they struggled, and you watched guys in the backfield on passing attempts. You saw any attempt to run the ball just suffocated. It was horrible. They did a... They did, and then with that, knowing that that's how they were going to play in the front seven, they did a great job on the back end of taking away both Diggs and Sanders early. Howard shadowed Diggs. Byron Jones stuck with Sanders. And then using a combination of Duke Riley and safety Javon Holland, which is extra help that they I, I don't think they planned on. The result is that Diggs finished the first half with four targets and 11 yards, and Sanders recorded his first game in a Bills uniform without a catch. It ruined my fantasy day because I had multiple wide receivers who, what, Antonio Brown's doubtful, Kevin Ridley decides he needs to go fix his mentals, so now he's out, and I stick in Sanders thinking, okay, Sanders is a great fourth wide receiver, fifth wide receiver to have in fantasy football. He gets zero points because of the way the Dolphins schemed our team. They saw that we defer to Sanders almost more than we defer to Diggs. Because Allen goes, okay, Diggs is kind of covered. Let me go to Sanders. Wait, Sanders is covered. Let me go to, oh, there is no Dawson Knox. Oh, no. Got to throw it to Tommy Sweeney. (laughs) They did a great job of executing that. And Sanders, he was targeted four times. No catches because they were all being contested. This is a big place that we missed Dawson Knox this weekend. Without his presence, Miami was able to turn extra attention. They singled up Gabe Davis. They singled up Tommy Sweeney and said, we're not going to let these two top receivers beat us. And you saw our first half offense grind to a complete standstill, given the disruption on the offensive line and in the secondary. Look at it. Five first, down, five, five first downs in the first half, just three points. Both of them season lows. That would have been considered low when Rex Ryan was running our team. Chris, do you remember games where the Bills didn't score in the first half? Yeah, it's like clockwork. During Rex Ryan? Well, I meant, I mean, throughout all the 2000s and 2010s. Are you sure? But I'm talking about like under Rex, right? Because Rex is a failed coach. We all agree he sucked. He didn't get shut out in halves very often. So the fact that they almost did it to us speaks to the fact that they brought a legitimate game plan against a good coach with a good team. Now, some of this can be blamed on our early reliance on the run, which proved faulty because our offensive line was terrible in generating any kind of push, any kind of push against that front seven. You can see it in the numbers that the Bills' running back group had no room to operate. Soundly failed to make an impact on the game. If it wasn't for Allen running for 34 yards in the first quarter, our ground game would have been non-existent. And in all, our running backs finished the first half with eight touches for just 35 total yards, 15 of which came on a single play. Allen's downfield, downfield run nearly equaled that total. Isn't that crazy? Insane. He, gets, he gets loose on a broken play, shreds their defense. He's grossly outperforming our running backs at this point. I, yeah, I kind of wish we had a run game. That's not, it's not sustainable. I mean, for fuck's sake, we only had a running back gain of more than 10 yards, either on the ground or through the air twice, with neither of them going for 15 yards. Now, obviously, some of that is our fault, but it's not like the Dolphins didn't go out there and make the tackles they needed to. They made the plays, and the Dolphins deserve a lot of credit because that first-half performance is who they were supposed to have been all season long. Those DBs in the in the interior front seven talent, they were supposed to be capable of providing coverage on the back end that would let their front seven wreak havoc and just be big enough and physical enough up the middle with Christian Wilkerson and the, uh, I can't think of his name now, but the guy they brought over from the Patriots at T-Tackle, to st- to stop you from running because they had coverage. Think back to Monday Night Football. 
the Giants play the Chiefs. Both teams are selling out to stop the pass. So you have Devin Booker and some no-name running backs for the Chiefs who are running for like eight yards a carry sometimes. The Bills couldn't do that even though the Dolphins were selling out on stopping the pass. That's a problem, right? It is. And yet for all that, the Dolphins still couldn't cover a 13.5-point spread. (laughs) Chris, 13.5 points. I stayed away from it. Yeah, I was going to say, did you bet it? No, I didn't bet it. I had two bad, uh, two bad beats. Two, well, not I, don't, I, don't I, don't I would know. I wouldn't call them bad beats, but I had I had two. I'll usually do a forty dollar parlay, and I did two twenties this week, and one both of them had one wrong, which were the uh, Cincinnati Bearcats scoring over forty three and a half points, and then uh, Hawaii on the money line. <laughs> Uh, which that Hawaii on the money line, I also had on that ticket plus 360 Navy on the money line, and they beat Tulsa. <laughs> How are you so good and so bad at betting? I have no I have no idea. Like, it's just, <laughs> if I, like, a lot of them were, like, mix and match. But, like, I, the South the South Alabama game I had on my both tickets, that hit. But the Cincinnati, <laughs> I, had two, I had two overs hit, but... I don't know. I guess it's just uh, lining them up successfully on uh, on a single parlay <laughs> ticket. Because I only I only generally do three. I was at the casino this week and I kind of took a peek at the guy next to me. He's got like a nine team a nine play parlay going. I'm like that's not going to hit. Like just stick to three or four max. You're hilarious, and so were the Dolphins on Sunday. And Dude, even. I noticed that watching the replay on on Monday when I watched the condensed version, like their offensive line was atrocious. <laughs> so this is the thing. For all the mistakes the Buffalo Bills made, the Dolphins made more and more egregious mistakes. And that's ultimately the difference in this sort of game. Because when you look at it, the Dolphins' mistakes are just glaring. If we want to talk about it, because, uh, Chris, I'm sure at this point in the podcast, people are like, well, all he's done is dump on the Bills and all the things that we did that didn't go well for us. You can go hard on the Dolphins in this oh, one, too. My God. I mean, the reality is that this result was less a product of things Buffalo excelled at and more of the things that the Dolphins are atrocious at. Underscoring that even when things are going well, they can't sustain any kind of positivity for a full 60 minutes. My favorite play of the Dolphins was, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know if, if you'll you'll cover the officiating in the game, but there was a, there was a play I think it was in the second half though where uh, the Dolphins just weren't lined up correctly, and Mike Gesicki was lined up as a receiver, and he just like turned inside before the snap and like threw his hands up like what are we doing here and then they snapped the ball and he got the penalty for not being lined up correctly <laughs> it was no we're gonna touch on that dynamic and I'm, I'm i'm so happy that you noticed that because it was something from the seats i'm like what the fuck is going on here this is a, this is the keystone cops i don't know how you could not notice that so but no for, first of all the only story i have to tell about officiating is a really funny story so we're in the stadium. There's this guy probably about our age who's just throwing around a lot of slurs in relation to the officiating group. And it, it's ugly stuff, right? And this kid who's probably about 12 years old, just, just by the look of his face, looks at him and goes, <laughs> looks at him and just goes, hey, you shouldn't say that kind of stuff. And the guy turns around and he's kind of like, ah, fuck you, kid. And the kid just yells back, your mom must. I I, I wish I could remember it word for word, but it was essentially along the lines of your mom must be really sad that this is who you are. Like, you're a bad person and that must make your mom sad. And you could see it hit this guy. It hit him like, Chris, you know, when someone hits you with with like a little bit of truth out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost sobering. 
We were like, oh my God, I am a, I am a bad person. <laughs> when this kid said it to him, he had no response. He just shut his mouth and stood there with this twisted face that I... It, it, it resonated with me, and I, it wasn't even directed at me. I spent the rest of the day just thinking in my head, like, have I said anything today that I that I regret? Like, have I said anything to a, like, to, oh, no. <laughs> like, the last, that's the last thing you want. That's how bad the officiating crew was, was that they, they, they produced that kind of vitriol. There was a giant refs, you suck chant going on in the stadium. But at the same time, some of that, Chris, I'm glad you noticed the Gasicki dynamic because we're going to talk about that in a second. Look at this. <laughs> the, the first half struggles by Buffalo were the byproduct of a game script that had Buffalo trying to enforce the run and some really sound defensive play by the Dolphins in the back end, which is who they were supposed to be. But things weren't a picnic for Miami on offense. It's not like they played a better half than us. I mean, all that goodwill Miami built in the first half on defense went right out the window when the Bills came out in the second half and instead of continuing to run into the teeth of that front seven with an offensive line that's already playing some of its worst football, we instead turned to Cole Beasley. Beasley had two first-half targets, but on his last one, he beat, he beat Nick Needham from the slot and got up into the safeties for 20 yards, after, you know, run after the catch. He moved the chains five times in the second half, including a 15-yard catch on third and 14. When he went down, he was down on the field, and the trainers came out, and they're attending to him, and you just you heard the air come out of the stadium, right? And then Cole Beasley comes back out on the field. <laughs> He's just like, all right, I took my playoff. I'll go back out there even if I'm not 100%. Chris, would you expect anything less? He's the guy who played on a broken leg because he thought he might go to the Super Bowl. No, it's Cole Beasley. I don't know what the injury was. It, it was enough to have him down on the ground, rolling around in agony, and then he got up and kept catching passes for yardage. Why? He's a tough son of a bitch. Say what you want about his politics, about his social thing. That's all up to, for you to decide. Like I said, I don't discriminate based on that. I love football. And that guy, he might be one of the toughest sons of bitches on this football team. That right there was the wrinkle the Bills needed to exploit, and the Miami defense had no answer for it when we rolled it out. You know, we stopped trying to run the ball and instead said, hey, I mean, we're, I have a screenshot right now on my phone, I'm going to read it to you. So I was going back and forth, Greg Thompson, we were talking about rushing efficiency and how the Bills are actually leading the NFL right now, or at least we're in the top three for teams that run on first and second down rather than throw the ball. And yet when you looked at the teams that were in the upper echelon, like at the other end of the spectrum from us, teams that don't run or you know run the ball on first or second down, especially second long, Tampa Bay, Arizona, the Rams, all playoff teams. Essentially, all of the some of the most dynamic offenses in football have decided they don't need to run the ball on early downs. We're just going to throw, and we're going to throw, and we're going to run when it's convenient. The Bills have gone the complete opposite way this year, where we've tried to enforce the run, and it's clear that this offensive line is not built for that. They just don't have it in their arsenal. The first quarter was a product of that. And yet at the same time they came out in the second half, to Eric Turner's point, he responds to my argument with Greg Thompson about firing into the sun. And I just said, I lamented the fact that I wish we could ever get a screen game. And he goes, the Bills couldn't run on Sunday, so they threw 15 screens in the second half. Chris, they just said, look, we'll spread you out horizontally and then let Beasley kill you over the middle. Good luck. You don't have a, you don't have a plan for that. We pivoted and they couldn't. And then to your earlier point about the offensive line not doing its job, the Miami offensive tackle play was atrocious and shows in the numbers that our defensive line was able to accumulate. That rookie left tackle, Liam Eichenberg, got it fed to him. He got it fed to him with a spoon, illustrating that back in week two when we watched Austin Jackson struggle, maybe that's just what young, under-talented players going up against our front four is going to bring. 
maybe it's not so much they suck. Maybe it's that they're not very good, and this is what our defensive line does to guys who aren't very good. Because they both got beat over the head with a shovel. They were personally responsible for eight pressures, five hurries, and three quarterback hits. Uh, Liam Eikenberg graded as one of the worst Miami run blockers to see the field, much less to start on the offensive line. Chris, if you know that Austin Jackson sucks, you drafted him in the first round last year and thought he was your answer at left tackle. He was not. He's been worse this year. So you... Wait. The Bills drafted a tackle. Or a guy that they thought they could play tackle. Cody Ford. They moved him inside to guard the following year. Yep. Didn't they bench him when it became apparent that he wasn't good at his job? Correct. And what a situation that happened on Sunday with Spencer Brown being out, you would have think, oh, maybe we put Cody Ford in at guard. Nope. Ike Bodker. Nope. We'll shuffle the They're offensive done line with Cody before Ford. we give Cody Ford a shot. That's what a smart coaching staff would do when you realize, hey, we have a guy here who just can't do the job. Instead, they take Austin Jackson as a black hole and put him right next to Eichenberg as a rookie. That doesn't make any sense, does it? None. I mean, think back to when Deion Dawkins was a rookie. He was at his best when Richie Incognito was next to him. The following year, Richie leaves and he regresses because he was a young player who now just got asked to swim in deeper water with no help. They're doing that to Eichenberg, except instead of plugging in mediocrity next to him, they're giving him a guy that they know sucks, that they know shouldn't be on the field. (sighs) This is the only game all year that Jackson didn't allow a single pressure, but that's because the brunt of it all fell on their left tackle. And his own results were just terrible. And then look at the other side of the offensive line. The Ed Oliver highlight that everyone's clapping about. Ed Oliver just beats everyone and gets right to the quarterback. That's less Oliver and more the fact that the right guard passes Oliver off to right tackle Jesse Davis, who, kind of like the kid who sucks at hot potato, never actually got him. Right? He never... I, I didn't get him. Oh, you passed him to me. Didn't get him. Allowing Oliver a free release directly to the quarterback like you thought he was a wide receiver against prevent defense. That's hilariously bad coaching, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And then Mike Kosicki to the dynamic you alluded to earlier. This was going to be one of my cardinal points of this entire game. Mike Kosicki is, what, a third-year player now? Three or four. Three or four. He's coming up on a free agent. Like, they're going to have to re-sign him. Yeah, because I, I, I think he was drafted by Gase and then underutilized and then finally utilized under this regime. He was constantly throughout the game seen trying to line up his fellow pass catchers, trying to tell people where they should be, who's doing what, here's where you need to be. Chris, isn't that what the fuck you practice for? Yeah. Where the hell are your coaches? Throughout the game, I saw him routinely yelling at the wide receivers and other tight ends as to where they needed to be or alert them that they weren't lined up. Like, hey, you're you're on the line of scrimmage. You have to back up because if not, we're going to get a penalty. And it's hilarious that he got called for a penalty when he was trying to stop somebody else from fucking up. Yeah. (laughs) Where are the Dolphins coaches on the sideline while all this is going on? I, I don't understand. And the piece de resistance is where it manifested itself in the fumble in the red zone. Now, this is from the Finsider and Kevin Nogle. He had the best recap of what happened on this play. Now, I'm watching it from the other end zone. I see them snap, and all of a sudden, everybody's cheering. And I see all the Bills players laughing and getting up and celebrating. This is his recap of what happened on this fateful play. At one point, with the first half coming to a close, Miami already in position to at least kick a field goal and take a lead into halftime. Gasicki yelled for his teammate to motion to his side of the formation. The play clock was ticking down as Gasicki then began to make his way to the opposite side of the field. Inexplicably, Robert Hunt taps the center, Austin Ryder, on the hip, signaling it was time to snap the ball. Unfortunately, in that exact moment, Gesicki was passing the center's backside in between Ryder and Tagovailoa, so the ball ended up hitting the right end in his groin, 
causing a fumble, which was recovered by Buffalo, taking at least three points off the board for Miami. Is this not Keith? Can we get some Benny Hill music? Because that's what it sounds like was going on with the Miami offense in that first half. I think it happened once earlier in the game, but it it didn't hit Gesicki because he was there was a, there was a similar similar play where he went in motion and it got Gesicki didn't look like he was motioning correctly or was questioning himself <laughs> running in motion and it almost happened. You have three offense. You have three offensive coordinators. I don't know how this happens, Chris. This smells like too many Indians and not enough Chiefs. All right. Or maybe too many Chiefs and not enough Indians. Either way, there's nobody leading here. And that play was the game, the moment that I knew the game was over. Right? 3-3, tied, fumble right before the half. Eh, tied. Okay, we're going to the, we're going to halftime. Everything's going to be fine, right? But then the shoving and the shouting match that breaks out amongst the Dolphins' players as they're leaving the field on this just dejected walk back to the sidelines that inevitably had to be broken up by the coaches. I, that sealed it in my mind. These Dolphins are still just a fractured group that simply isn't coached well enough to continue holding any serve against anybody. And that's why I relaxed. And the rest of the game... I was loose. I was loose. I had a lot of fun. I hung out with my wife. Everything was great. I mean, Cole Beasley's performance in that second half was indicative of what we expect from somebody who steps up under pressure. We expect Josh. Chris, true or false? It's low-hanging fruit to call Josh Allen the hero of the week at this point. It is. Because we expect him to do the things that he's doing now. Yeah. Because now, not only are you... Not only are you the quarterback who's supposed to run the offense, but you're also one of the highest paid quarterbacks in football. So I stopped giving you a lot of credit. Now you're just doing the job. You're doing the thing you're supposed to be doing. And so I look at everybody else and I say, Beasley, that was cool. That was impressive. That was damn impressive. And yet there's somebody else who impressed me more. And that's why he's this week's hero of the week. And that's strong safety Jordan Poyer. Do you know who the real heroes are? The guys who wake up every morning and go into their normal jobs and get a distress call from the commissioner and take off their glasses and change into capes and fly around fighting crime. Jordan Porter was flying around fighting crime all day long. There's obviously statistical cases that can be made for any player to win some throwaway superlative like Hero of the Week. The team gave its game ball to Ed Oliver. I've heard a lot of content creators like the guys over at Cover One or Bill's Fanatics heap praise on Cole Beasley, who I think, Chris, I've gone out of my way to underscore. He had a phenomenal day. Yeah, he was much more, he's better in the second half than he was in the first. Well, and and it was a gutsy, it was a gutsy performance. It was ballsy. He put himself in harm's way. He clearly got hurt and then said, fuck it, I don't care. Damn the consequences. I'm built like that and I like that. Like, I like seeing somebody else who's willing to work when they're when they're not 100, when they're not 80, when they're not 70%. It's, as long as I can get up. I mean, Chris, again, I can't state this enough. This is the guy who played through a broken leg because he thought he could go to a Super Bowl. I know he's not going to quit on me. I like that. But there's one guy that stood out more, and that was our strong safety. He was a tackling machine, making stops in the open field all over the place. Solo tackle style. He didn't need anybody. Not cleanups. Not, hey, I just... Solo tackle, open field. I'm going to shut this shit down. He gets brought on blitzes when they needed to throw two off on third down attempts. And he made his presence felt there. He was only targeted twice in the passing game, allowing one catch for negative yardage on a screen pass to Miles Gaskin. Everyone knew if Poyer's out there, you'd stay away from him. And all of that stuff alone is nice, but it's it's not hero material. 
Like that, that alone doesn't justify him to be called this. But watching it in person, being at the stadium, and being able to see things that don't make it out of the TV feed, there were a couple moments that made this an easy choice and left me walking out of the stadium thinking about how lucky we are to have a player like Jordan Poyer suited up for us every single Sunday. The biggest one was after Matt Hack. Chris. Hawk. Hawk, hack. I told you, I'll call him hack until he proves he's a good punter. 30-yard punt. It was a hack. 30-yard, the 19-yard punt. That's what it was, 19? 19 yards. He shanks a second-quarter punt. The Dolphins get gifted with pretty great starting field position. And we're all in the fans. Just We're all up here in the stands just bitching. I mean, I just, some guy just starts screaming out, where's Bojo? And I was like, oh, no. We've reached that point of the season. Chris, when during these last couple playoff runs, 2019, 2020, did we change punters midseason? No, I don't don't think so. We had Bojo's for like three seasons. And I think that the reason they had him is because he had such a huge leg. They weren't confident in Josh yet, so you want to be able to flip the field. And now that Josh, they're confident in Josh to lead long sustaining drives if you're gonna you know not get anywhere on a drive and punt they at least think now josh can get to like midfield so now instead of needing a guy with a leg you need a guy with precision that can corner coffin well also a guy who can hold well because that was a big thing chris how many times did we watch reed angry on the sidelines after a miss knowing it's not his fault a lot a lot so, yeah, this is happening. The, the Hack kicks the punt. <laughs> Everyone's pissed about it. Jordan Poyer is one of the first people to dap up Matt Hack. He's one of the first people to meet him coming off the field. And then, as they're, tr- they're getting ready to go back out on the field, it's Poyer who has the defenders coming off the sideline and circled around him. He's jumping up and down. Chris, he's jumping probably, his ankles were probably the middle of my chest. Yeah. He's an athlete. He's hammering his teammates in the chest and yelling. And you can see it. His attitude is essentially, look, this is it. This is it. It's on us. Okay, that guy made a mistake. It doesn't fucking matter because we're a football team. Let's go out there and let's hold these assholes. It doesn't matter what they gave them. It's our job to make sure they don't get in. (laughs) It's our job to go out there and pick up the slack. Let's get excited about it. I, I can't tell you what that's worth because I watched him. They gave up a 22 yard catch and run on kind of a broken play on third down. But they held Miami to just a field goal, which went on to be their only points of the first half. And you saw the continuity of what our defense was continue to hold throughout the course of the game. Because you have somebody on the back end whose attitude is, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Right? It doesn't matter what anybody else does. We have a job to do. That that, That guy screwed up? Great. This is an opportunity for us to help him. Let's help him pick up the slack. And he was electric on that drive, fired up, yelling at people, just gesticulating at the sideline, slapping guys on the ass. Poyer was the quarterback of the defense on that drive. And it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen in person because it stood out to me and I couldn't take my eyes off it. He was the energy that, Chris, we talk all the time about how Josh Allen, like everybody in that locker room follows him, right? Yeah. Everyone follows his his lead. Well, on defense, everyone was following Poyer's lead. Everyone. That's why he's got a C on his chest. He's that guy. And then, I'll take that away. Now you're deep into the second quarter. Take a lead. You have it. You think the game's in hand, but you're like, oh, Miami, they're going to try to mount one last attempt. Game-stealing interception. Poyer just says, fuck it. I've seen this play a bunch of times. I'm calling game. There's moments you need your defensive leaders and your stars to shine. And he came through in the clutch to make sure that we stamped this thing with an emphatic W. It was a great play. He reads it perfectly. You, I, Again, because it's at the opposite end of the field, 
to his throwing towards us. I got to watch Poyer break on the ball. <laughs> He's like, oh, I know where you're going. You're done. Game over. We're ending it now. It was a great play that he read perfectly from literally snap to pass. Just catch it in stride. And he was damn close to taking it all the way to the house. The thing about a team like ours, one that has great players who may not necessarily get the press that they deserve on a national level, is that every week it's an opportunity for one of them to step up and be the leader. And this week was Poyers, and it was something to watch. And it's great that he gets it because he and Hyde. I feel like we say this all the time, but it's worth noting. Poyer and Hyde might be two of the most underrated safeties in the NFL, and they're having a hell of a season. I mean, Chris, you see the screen grabs I've put up there for you. Why don't you read some of them to our listeners? Uh, highest graded Bills this season, 25 snaps, according to PFF, your favorite website. Jordan, yes. Jordan Poyer, number one, 89.2. He's got 16 picks since 2017 and is tied for second among safeties. That's Jordan Poyer. Second most interceptions among safeties since 2017. The dude's been a stud. And this is the type of game where you need a guy like him on the back end. And then Jordan Porter and Micah Hyde have now each tallied three interceptions through the through the Bills' first seven games. They're the only safety duo with three or more in the NFL. Chris, he's the Micah Hyde makes a lot of the savvy plays, a lot of the finesse plays. Poyer's all just blood, guts, and heart, and I love that about him. And that's why I'm happy to be able to call him this week's hero. <sighs> this week's zero of the game. I had, to, I had to give it to two people. John Feliciano and Mike Bakker. Fucking embarrassing! For as good as our safeties have been, this interior tandem on Sunday was a disaster. Uh, what, what makes it more damning is that these were the same offensive guards playing the same position as they played in in 2020. And yet they put together what might have been, in terms of run and pass blocking, their worst games collectively. Feliciano was particularly brutal. I mean, it's, it's awful thinking that he's going to regress that far from what he used to be. He lost weight so he could get faster. And I just feel like he, as a run blocker, he's n- not even remotely effective anymore. You can't, he's not, he, he has no hope of even beating the defensive line, much less getting to the second level. We've reached a point where it's a calamity. It's a real problem. And you're seeing, and I think what's compounding this though, we wouldn't be so mad about it, Chris, if they were just throwing the ball all the time, right? Like the second half of that Bills game, if they were just throwing it constantly, no one would be pissed about this. But you see the chart that I have here. Now, I didn't make it. This comes from Computer Cowboy Ben Baldwin on Twitter. It's second and long pass rate here in 2021. Chris, who are the offenses at the top of the chart? Carolina, Tampa, the Rams, Cowboys, Cardinals, Las Vegas, Seattle. Surprisingly, the Jets are up there. Yeah. And then... Uh, Who's at the bottom? Jacksonville, Chicago, Buffalo, the Giants, the Saints, the Vikings, the Redskins, the Broncos. Which? All teams that are um, not in the playoff race. What What group would you rather be included in? Probably the top. Yeah. So here's the problem. Because this is efficiency alongside your ability to call runs on. And the Bills are some of the worst at it. That falls squarely on the shoulders of our offensive line, and these two guys were the worst at it this weekend. In fact, Mitch Morse isn't a bad run blocker. He's just always been a better pass blocker, and we all knew that going into this. It's just frustrating that we're now part of that group offensively because our team tried to find balance, and in doing so, put us in, like, literally the loser. Like, you're eating at the loser table at lunch when it comes to NFL offenses because we're trying to run the ball more to find a balanced offense. And it won't work because our offensive linemen suck at run blocking. It's the reason we had to throw 15 screen passes in the second half. It's just you guys have to figure this out because there's no help coming. The trade deadline is passed. There's no new guards coming in. 
it's on them to figure out how to make the interior offensive line work. And I don't know what they do, Chris. I'm not a... If I can answer that question... Can't do anything. you got to wait for the draft. It's about all you can do. Final thoughts about the game, Chris. I think the only takeaway you can come away with from this game is just to quote our head coach. The first uh, first half was not that good. Second half, a little bit better. Find a way. Find a way. Find a way. They didn't play well, and they still covered the spread. Greg Tuck. And it was a ridiculous spread. Yes. Greg Thompson had a tweet earlier this week where he said, he was like, here's the difference. When Tampa Bay doesn't have its best game, when Arizona doesn't have its best game, when the Rams don't have their best game, they lose. Even if they're playing mediocre opponents, they lose. The Bills played not their best game and won. That should make you feel good, right? Yeah. First of all, I want to say... If we're from the top down, just going to undress this thing. First of all, I'm happy that my wife came to this game because it was the perfect combination of tailgate atmosphere and outcome of game. And I'm happy she got to be there to see it. I mean, it. I think it helps her feel better about my love of doing this and why I do it. And the people that we bring. Chris, her apprehension when I let Hugo from Portugal spend the night at my house. Just kind of on a whim, because I was like, well, I'm not going to send you out there to go find a hotel room. You're already here at my house. Just stay here. You can assume, it's fair to assume that most women would be apprehensive about that, correct? Yeah. Okay. But like The Walking Dead, you would be willing to eat another human. Well, yeah, so... If they were uh, (laughs) doing anything wrong inside the gear home. Well, because then there's no, what, there's no phone call to the cops. There's no, there's no evidence. Yeah, you ate it all. What the what, what are you talking about? <laughs> Folks, we're not eating bodies over here. Just uh, This is all just hearsay and jokes. We're all just kidding around. But it really is. Like, it left her and I with both such a good mood that taking our son trick-or-treating for the first time later that night was made all the more enjoyable because we got to talk the entire walk just about how much fun being around all of you were, how much fun the game was. How good it is to be a fan of a football team that's complete from top to bottom, players to coaches. It was a real family day from start to finish for me. My real family, my podcast family. You notwithstanding, Chris, it was it was perfect. It was fantastic. Yeah, I wish I could have been there. I know. I feel bad. And you know, I'm not going to stop talking these days up just to save your feelings because also... Well, I don't have feelings. I know. We're all dead inside. <laughs> I started this conversation about this game with the sentiment that it's hard to win in the NFL and it's even harder to sweep your divisional opponents. And that's the God's honest truth. Yet this makes multiple seasons where we've swept Miami, which is an accomplishment in and of itself. But then you got to ask, what does it say about our franchise and theirs? I mean, first of all, Miami, between the mistakes we talked about earlier and the fact that they had their own Rick Dennison moment, where somehow three of their wide receivers ended up crammed into what is like 20 feet of linear space on a single play. Three coaches got together and designed that play, Chris. All your wide receivers standing in the same spot going, wait, we're all covered. Ah, fuck. Yeah, run game coordinator, pass game coordinator, slot game coordinator, deep ball game coordinator. That's the type of thing (laughs) I would have advised. Like if someone came in and said, hey, Chris, you get to devise an NFL play. That's the outcome I would expect. That, what happened right there. Except some assholes making a couple hundred grand a year in order to do that. It's ridiculous. We have spent 20 years rebuilding and rebranding and shuffling the deck between GMs, head coaches, and quarterbacks. And over that time, we were anywhere from second to dead last in the AFC East. Now look at us. On our second straight season of carrying the division lead into the middle of the season, and when you put into perspective the, the just where Miami is, they're easily outcoached. They're, they are susceptible to mistakes. They're, they're prone to like, hey, we have a plan, but the second that plan falls apart, we have nothing else. We can't pivot because we're not good. That brings me to 
the Bills Patriots analogy. And the thing I want to leave all of our listeners with as we close the show. Think about all of the years that we played against the Patriots and we thought, like, hey, this is our year. We know we're better than the Jets. We know we're better than the Dolphins. This is our year. Well, that's what the Miami Dolphins were supposed to have this year. I mean, I think about Buffalo playing New England. Go, I go back to the Gronk game in 2017 when the Bills had the Patriots in the first half. 9-3 to was the score. But eventually they folded 23-3. to That was just one of many games where we would either have the lead or we would play the Patriots close and they would inevitably just demolish us because they were the better franchise. They had a better coach. They had more talent. We could catch them for a half, but they would inevitably blow the doors off us. That's who we are now. That's who we are in this division. It's who we are to the Miami Dolphins. It's who we are to the New York Jets. We're the best coached. We're the most talented. We're the group that at the end of the day, we have the horses and the coaching talent to make sure that our team is the most competitive for 60 full minutes every single Sunday. We should all walk away from this appreciating that dynamic of this game the way I did as I was walking out. And I can't wait to get another crack at the Patriots because if we do it again, Chris, where we sweep New England, I think we have to start looking at the idea that Sean McDermott might just be the new ruler of the AFC East, right? I love it. I love it. I love all of you. I can't wait. I just can't wait for next weekend. But for now, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krieger. And this has been your Week 8 Recap. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.